When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, Mets fans. Welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. My name is Brian. With me, as always, is Chris. And uh, we're now a couple of weeks into the postseason. Every team I've wanted to see succeed has failed. And we are stuck with almost the worst Final Four you could imagine, for my personal tastes. Um, but that's okay. We're here to talk about the Mets, not about the rest of baseball. So um, the big news out of Queens right now is that the Mets did not get very far with any of their sort of top three dream candidates. They wanted to run the team, Theo Epstein, Billy Bean, and David Stearns. All of them either pulled themselves out or didn't receive permission from their team to interview. And it seems like the Mets are in a position where they, yet again, have to rebuild their front office and people don't want to be a part of it. Now, this used to be blamed on the Wilpons and just the general douchebaggery that came with with a Wilpon run team. But this is continuing under Steve Cohen now. And so it begs a couple of questions. The first of which, Chris, is, is this a Sandy Alderson problem at this point? Well, uh, I know there was a tweet from uh, Mike Mayer earlier today where he said that an executive texted that nobody wants to be the meat in an Alderson sandwich. Um, <laughs> so that's a horrible image. It, it is, it is, but it, you know, it is worth remembering that his son, Brent is in a fairly high ranking role in the front office currently. Um, so the, you know, as unappetizing as it, that sandwich sounds, um, it, it is an image that reality, makes sense. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess it could be. I mean, there's two parts to this right now. One, the the dream candidate list consisted of people who were, uh, at least in the case of Billy Bean and David Stearns, uh, still in a spot that they were under the control of the team that they're with. You know, not not something that we always talk about with executives or think about, but. Uh, you know, neither one had a contract that was expiring coming into the off season. Uh, that's that's a factor there. Um, and in the case of Stearns, the update right was that the Brewers didn't want to allow permission to try to bring him, you know, over. 
Right. Uh, and, and in the case of Bean, it, it, it was It also that appeared he, that, that Stearns was pretty happy in Milwaukee right now. Right, right. And, and you know, Billy Bean, the update was that he had withdrawn his name from consideration, that, you know, he did speak to Alderson or Cohen or, or whomever, you know. When we say the Mets, it's it's basically those two people right now. Um, and then Theo Epstein is doing whatever he's doing. Um, and we know he had a, a chat with Cohen. Um, in his case, he was not uh, obligated to anybody or anything necessarily, but it didn't seem like it's something he's interested in doing. Um, he, he had said that he wants that the next team that he wants to run, he wants to run it from an ownership perspective. That he wants to be part of a group that buys a team, and so yeah. that that is decidedly not where the Mets are right now. Right. So, I I think I don't know. I'm not I'm not panicking. Um, to use one of Sandy Alderson's favorite terms, just yet. But it does seem like I, I guess I'm more concerned, not so much that those three individuals aren't going to be the next president of baseball operations or, or whatever the title may be for the Mets. Um, as much as I'm concerned that we might get to mid-November, which isn't that far away right now, and have nobody in that title still. Um or, or, or just that sort of indecisiveness. Now, for the over the course of the whole offseason, I don't know if it matters that much because I think a, a whole lot's going to be held up by the new CBA negotiations. Right. Um, who knows how long those take? And I, I do. I think uh, some of the decisions that have to be made right at the start of the offseason are pretty clear cut. Um, you know, the only thing that's on a timeline that's guaranteed to be the same. Uh, because it's still under the current CBA is the qualifying offer process, but right. um, but yeah, I it, it would just be nice for the World Series to end and the Mets to have a, a clear, uh, you know, this is what our front office structure is. So and so is president of baseball operations. So and so is general manager. And not just have a repeat of, of last year. Because last year, I, I know people fresh, got frustrated by it too, but uh, it, at least there was the transition period that also, that, that coincided with that same period of time. So, right. you know, not, not to make excuses for everything they did. They went on to make a bunch of bad hires on the timeline they were working on, uh, to say the least. But you could at least get why you, you you can't start working on the uh, the house, so to speak, until you actually get the keys. You know, so right. you, you you can understand it now. It's like, all right, guys, if if those were your three top candidates, I think you probably could have figured out that they would have you know either no interest or no ability to talk to you about the role sooner than uh early to mid-october right could have probably figured that one out in july august you know some somewhere a little bit ahead of time uh at the very least when zach scott got arrested that might have been a good time to check in with those candidates and and see if they were even possibilities Um, i wonder if there was some uh if there are some restrictions on that, like whether whether legally they could speak to, uh, you know, to someone like Billy Bean or, or John Stearns uh, during the season. Yeah, yeah. Da- David Stearns, right? David Stearns. I'm sorry, yes. Who, yeah, who, yeah. What did I say? John. John. <laughs> former Met John Stearns. Yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that, a, that understandable. Uh... <laughs> yes. <laughs> Understandable brain fart. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, but it'd be great if, if out of nowhere, John Stearns, he's 70. Uh, you just looked it up or you, do you happen to know that? No, no, no. I, I'm looking it up. <laughs> and he was not around for the, uh, you know, for any particularly glorious Mets seasons. Uh, but it'd be pretty great if John Stearns became president of baseball operations and you had broken the news that way. Yeah, that would be, that would be fantastic. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like at this point, I just hope that they have something firm lined up, whomever it may be. And they, and they announce it, um, right after the world series ends. And then we just know, okay, these are the people that are going to be making decisions. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of at a, at a point in my fandom where I'm trying to care a little bit less about that. Like, I, I don't know if that's the right thing to do, but um, just sort of try to enjoy the players more and not fret over it. So I'm not losing sleep over the Mets search for a, a new head of the front office. But um, but yeah, it would just be nice if they have it lined up and, and ready to go. Um and if they can manage to hire somebody who doesn't have bad skeletons in their closet, that would be good. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing how our standards have changed, right? Um, I was thinking about this recently. When when Alderson was hired as GM, there were a number of other people that were you know rumored to be in the running. And Alderson was considered like the analytical choice of the, of the bunch. And I feel like now... Anyone who is looking for a GM job is, of course, analytics friendly, right? There's almost no one out there in the in the in the field who is going to still be like, nope, scouting only. That's what we do here. We just scout people. We don't have any analytics department. And so, you would think the Cohen and Alderson behind the scenes are going to provide the team with better analytics than would have been, you know, possible you know, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, whatever it is. So it's no longer, to me, it's no longer at this point as like necessary to want a forward thinking GM. Cause I feel like just, that's just, that's what the role is now. All the GMs are going to be relatively forward thinking and analytical as opposed to what we would have gotten in the past. Or is that just me being overly optimistic about the people that are out there? Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I I agree. I think it's par for the course, um, really. So uh, I think just finding somebody who is a good fit, a good baseball mind, somebody who, uh, I don't know, just isn't going to screw things up and, and, and has a plan, um, that all sounds really basic, but <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't think there's any huge difference. If Jared Porter hadn't uh, been a, a, a sexting pest, and uh, if Zach Scott hadn't been arrested for DUI, um, those two might have been totally capable, average candidates. And and look, the Mets haven't officially parted ways with with Zach Scott yet. They, you know, I, I'd be surprised if they bring him back, but um, it's still a possibility. Uh, right, but, right. But yeah, th- if those two hadn't had scandals and if they had just operated the same way they did last winter, I, I would guess that they would both still be in uh, the titles they were hired for and they would both be handling this off season and we wouldn't be thinking about any of this at all. And, and that would be coming off of a first season that wasn't that good. Um, right. But yeah, I, I, I think there's probably a certain level of uh, just sort of compatibility of people who could slot into those roles. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I feel like one thing that's been sort of glorified at least recently uh, with the way the playoffs have shaken out, you know, the Rays tree of people who had worked in that front office and now have gone, you know, whether it's Bloom with the Red Sox or, uh, you know, Friedman with the Dodgers or, you know, uh, the Astros probably have some former Rays guys that I can't think of off the top of my head. But, um, you know, I don't necessarily think you have to find somebody who used to work for the Rays or pry somebody away from the Rays. Um, it, you, you just got to find somebody who is capable of doing the job. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty much what it comes down to. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, 
so yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know who that person is. I don't have a, a, a dream candidate in mind myself. I do think that um, even if one of the big names had worked out, at least, especially in the case of Bean, I think, uh, you know, if it had happened, everybody would be worried that he was going to trade away to Grom and Lindor and run the Mets like the A's. Right. And it didn't happen. So then that's, uh, you know, oh, no, the Mets can't hire anybody. So th- there's always a little bit of having it both ways with these things, even though I do think it's legitimate to have concerns. Yeah, I agree with all that. So uh, you, you mentioned before the qualifying offer process staying the way it is right now uh, because of it being part of the old CBA before the new CBA begins. Let's talk about that. There are a couple of Mets that are up for qualifying offers, and uh, you know I, I think we all have an idea of who's going to be offered them. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. We cannot offer uh, Stroman a CB uh, a qualifying offer, right? Because we offered him one last time. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. So he is ineligible for right. qualifying qualifying offer. I believe with the changes they had made a few years ago, I think ever again, right? Ever again from the Mets or ever again, period? I, my memory, I seem to think that it was you could only get one qualifying offer ever. Um, but I guess I'd have to go back and double check. And that's something that could be completely irrelevant based on what they decide sure. in the new agreement. So, right. so yeah, but he certainly can't get one right now. So. Right. So Strowman's out. It seems like the only two players that are getting any sort of buzz about a qualifying offer would be Michael Conforto and Noah Syndergaard. Now, there are other free agents, obviously, from the team, but I don't think anyone thinks that they are worth what the qualifying offer is going to be worth this year. Has that been announced yet, what the qualifying offer is? Yeah, I think it went down slightly. Um, I think it was $18.1 million or something. It was it was a few hundred thousand less than whatever it was last year, which was... Last year was 18. 18.9, right? Okay, so yeah, eighteen point one or four, something like that. Okay, so um, you know, I I don't think anyone's gonna be paying you know Jonathan VR. No offense to you know Jonathan Virtual Reality, but it's just gonna be no one's gonna be paying him eighteen million dollars a season. Right. So yeah, it's eighteen point four right now. Um, so Conforto and uh, and uh, Syndergaard are the two that sort of have been spoken about quite a bit. I think that if the Mets were to offer Syndergaard the qualifying offer, he would clearly take it because he pitched one inning this year and needs to rebuild his value. But I don't know if the Mets are going to want to pay him $18 million with not knowing what exactly he is right now. The other one is Michael Conforto, who had a down season, and so there's a world where you could see him accepting that offer, but then you remember that he is a Scott Boris client, and it probably isn't going to happen. Do you have strong feelings on whether or not that will happen for either of those guys? Do you think either of them will get the qualifying offer? And if either of them do, will either accept it? Um, yeah, I think they'll offer it to both. Then I think exactly what you said. I think Syndergaard will take it. Um, sort of looking at the Stroman model for how well that went. Um, obviously the circumstances are a little bit different because Stroman was relatively healthy. I, I mean, I know he had a little bit of a leg issue going into the 60 game pandemic season. Um, but he wasn't coming off major surgery or anything like that. Uh, yet he still hadn't pitched at all, uh, in 2020 in a, in a major league game. So, you know, seeing that, seeing how well, it worked out for him and Syndergaard's openly been saying how he wants to keep being a Met. He wants to stay in New York, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. Um, I would not be shocked if the Mets tried to work out something with him that was maybe the same amount of money or a little bit more total money for, you know, two seasons instead of just the one year with the qualifying offer. But I think um, if it comes down to, just the straight up QO, I think Syndergaard will take it. Um, oh, I think he'll definitely take it. Do you think they're going to offer it? Is the question? I yeah, I do. And unless they come to terms on something else that you know feels like it's even more team friendly, 
Um, it just seems like a lot of money when you don't have any idea what Syndergaard has left in the tank. Right, right. But yeah, no, I mean, it's... I mean, um, to be fair, they should spend the money. Who cares yeah. if Steve Cohen's money? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that exactly that. And, you know, being in a spot now, like, it, I, I don't want to think this way forever, but if the Wilpons still own the team, it could be make or break whether or not they could get anybody else in the offseason if they were to give out a QO to Syndergaard. Um, obviously, there's plenty of cushion available now. Uh, if, if you give it to him and he comes back and he's only throwing 93 and it's you know sort of a Matt Harvey path, then, oh, well, you, you tried. But if he's anything, if he's 75% of who he used to be, that's a steal. Yes. Um, so it's very much worth the risk. And I, I think they will, uh, again, unless they figure out terms for – uh, you know, for a two-year deal, less money per year, but but maybe a little bit more overall money. Um, yeah, but it, we'll see. We'll see who's who's ultimately making that decision. Um, you know, Sandy Alderson has been risk averse when it comes to uh, spending, but we we also know him from eight years of being the Wilpons, right? guy um in charge of those things so so yeah and and i do think you offer it to conforto even though his season was really bad um and i and i think he'll turn it down and i do believe we've seen the last of him playing with the mets uh or, or at least for now you never know sometimes guys come back way down the road but <laughs> i mean but, do you think the market's out there for him to get a big deal elsewhere no that that's where it could get interesting, I guess. But um, who else is out there for corner outfielders? Let's see. I mean, there, there are enough guys that I think Conforto will be able to land something, right? Better better than a QO, but um, you know, he he's not going to go get 150, 200 million or anything like that coming off of this season and do you think that the Mets just aren't going to aren't going to want to play with with Boris is that what it essentially comes down to kind of I mean I don't know maybe they'll surprise us and and just pony up and hey we're gonna keep you know uh we're we're gonna bring back Javier Baez we're gonna keep Stroman keep Syndergaard keep Conforto and we're gonna do what it takes to spend the money on all of them. Um, but I, it just feels like there's going to be some odd men out here. Yeah. And, uh, and Conforto seems like the most logical one, even though it's, it's worth pointing out that like the Mets outfield situation isn't ideal still. Um, <laughs> it's, I, I mean, they, they've kind of made it work, but you know, we've been talking about for years that they haven't had a true center fielder in center field. Right. I mean, I loved Cespedes dearly and, and, you know, the time that he was healthy and, and out there just being the awesome hitter he was. But he played a lot of that stint with the Mets in center field, which um, I was willing to ride with it because... Because it was Cespedes. Right, because it was him and there was no alternative, really, and it was a way to just have, uh, you know, have, have the lineup be optimized with, with the best hitters. But, um, you know, Brandon Nimmo currently should not be in center field. He should be probably in left. Um, you know, his bat's good enough, more than good enough, to, uh, to carry him in a corner, even, even if he's not hitting for a ton of power. Um, but the outfield alignment isn't ideal. Uh, so part of me thinks it's, it's a little bit of, the Boris angle and, and also just a little bit of Nimmo I think has been, although he's been hurt more often, he's probably been a little bit more consistent as a hitter. You, you know what you're getting from him. Yeah. The highs aren't as high, but the lows aren't as low either. You, you know, you know what he is. Yeah. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. If Cohen is, and again, we just don't know enough about Cohen yet, right? We, we've we've seen precious little from Steve Cohen because the year that he's been here was so weird for so many reasons. But if Cohen is the kind of guy who feels like he needs to make a splash or he needs to instill like confidence in you know, in the fan base, I could see him making a big push for Conforto because of all the things you just said, you know, that he's, you know, he's, he's, because they do need some outfielders because he is somebody who has had great success in New York and was part of that 2015 World Series team, which means something to some people, you know, all those things. But I, I tend to agree with you in, in thinking that we've seen the last of him as a Met for now. Um, now here's here's a sort of a, a follow up question about the outfield. Do you think that if he is gone next year, Dom Smith starts every day in left, and uh, Nimmo starts every day in right, or do you think um, it's also there is the DH question? I suppose that right. could be addressed this offseason. But if, let's pretend that's not a thing for right now. How do you how do you deal with Dom Smith and and Brandon Nimmo right now, and how does that impact who else you go out and get this season? This offseason, rather. Well, yeah, I, I would think, or and it's no disrespect to the very likable player and person that Dom is, but I would think we'll see a little bit more shakeup in that regard. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Nimmo ends up hopefully in a corner. I don't, I don't know what route you go to find that real everyday center fielder, uh, but I do think Dom, you know, will be on the bench or on another team or in that DH mix. Yeah. I think you're probably right about that. Yeah. So aside from the qualifying offer, folks, uh, and I think both of us are probably in favor of getting Marcus Stroman back on the team. Is there anybody else from the club that you would like to see the Mets bring back this offseason? So... It's this like weird mix of of two feelings. One is, uh, and I do want Baez back uh, for sure. I think the combination of defense and power hitting, and honestly, you look at his season as a whole, and he he wasn't just a power hitter. I mean, he still struck out a lot. That's part of what he does. But he he was just a pretty good all around hitter, despite the strikeouts. And I have to say, as a Met, he struck out less than I thought he would. Yeah. I feel like he he worked some more walks towards the end of the year and uh you know maybe a change of scenery and a change of voices that he was hearing will have a positive impact on him. Yeah. He'll and, never become you know, John Olerud, right? But you know. No. <laughs> but that's okay. Yeah, no. I I think if we were, I was trying to think of polar opposite baseball players, Javier Baez and John Olerud might be them. Uh, <laughs> but but yeah, just so um it's a mix of two feelings. One, I, I want all the likable guys back. Uh, and the other one is, well, the, if you just bring everybody back, you can't expect the season to go all that differently, right? Right. Um, but the Mets didn't get a full season of Baez. Um, and and I, I think retaining him would be a very enjoyable thing and good for the team. Um, Aaron Loop put together a nice season and then this is one of those uh you know was it sort of lightning in a bottle with him this year and 
uh, you know, the fact that he came just shy of finishing below a one ERA, you know, he finished with a 1.01. 1. Um, you wouldn't expect that to repeat itself, but at the same time, he he was just really good. Uh, so it's it's tough uh, from our perspective, I think, to look at guys who who are exciting like that and say like, oh no, I don't want them back. Um, right. I think it's it's only natural that you do. Um, you know, we've heard that VR might be returning, um, ideally in the same role he had this year, if that happens. Um, so yeah, the, the, there are those guys, uh, Brad hand is a free agent. I know we know this is somebody the Mets had pursued, uh, before they wound up getting him as like a DFA guy in September on, on his third different team for the year. Um, Familia is an interesting one. Like he put up a solid season. Um, and that's sort of where the where the Mets bullpen landed. Right. They had a few guys who were solid, and they were above average, but not anything special. Um, I mean, I guess I don't have any strong feelings on on him in particular. And and yeah, Stroman. Um, overall, I think I'd I'd like to see him back because, I mean, he just he he pitches well. He feels his position very well. Um, and I, I don't know where the rotation gets pieced together, even if we're assuming everything's totally fine with Degrom, which um, hopefully it is. But I don't know. There, there, are, there are a lot of question marks. Carlos Carrasco didn't look very effective this year. You know, we already talked about Syndergaard coming off, uh, missing a very long time, without any significant amount of time uh, pitching in major league games. Um, yeah, I don't know. And hey, if Rich Hill wants to come back, uh, you, you could do worse. You know, he he's still capable. Uh, it, it's bordering on like Bartolo territory here. Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, he's just Bartolo 2.0 or whatever. Yeah, left-handed, uh, non-Latino Bartolo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You know... Rich Hill is one of those guys that I wouldn't mind them bringing back, but I hope that he's not the solution, right? Like, if you have DeGrom, you have Carrasco, you have Walker. If you're going to bring back Syndergaard, great. If you're going to bring back Stroman, I think that's the better. I mean, if, if I could only bring back Stroman or Syndergaard, as much as it breaks my heart to say it, I think I'd go Stroman at this point, just because you know what you're getting out of Stroman whereas you don't know it at a Syndergaard. But I would bring back both of those guys. And look, if Rich Hill wants to come back on a, on a team-friendly deal, I'm all for that. That gives the Mets six starting pitchers that are all far above replacement level. And that's a good place to start. And then hopefully, you know, the, the Tyler McGills of the world, and that will be what they're supposed to be, which is major league depth. And if one of them turns out to be real, David Peterson, McGill, if those guys turn out to be for real... That's great, but we're not counting on those guys. That that was the Wilpon plan. If this was the Wilpons, they'd have brought back Rich Hill and called it a day. And yeah. you know, we just need to be more prepared than that. Yeah, no, it's David Peterson feels like an ancient memory right now, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, and he pitched, I think, as of June or July. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's but and it's no disrespect to to him or Tyler McGill to say Look, we want those guys to either be, uh, you know, maybe the long man in the bullpen to start the year, um, or the best couple of pitchers that they've got in Syracuse. Um, right. You know, how many times this year did they call up Jared Eikhoff from Syracuse? Yeah, to disastrous results, and and that was in a season that I think they were praised, um, correctly Possibly by this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, but uh, and 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 elsewhere where it looked like, um, you know, they they had they had built out a rotation that one they filled the major league rotation with capable pitchers, at least at the start of spring training or or so, you know, uh, without relying on Syndergaard coming back to be one of them, and then they, you know. 
then Carrasco's injury lingered. Syndergaard never really made it back, um, you know, until that 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 very late season return for the brief stint. But you know, they they had assembled what looked like a deeper uh, cast of characters, and and it still wasn't enough. So you definitely can't go into next year with McGill or Peterson penciled into your opening day rotation. Um, they will get their opportunities. You know, if they themselves are healthy, there will be needs. Uh, I know the Mets probably used close to a, re- I think it was a record, right? And a number of uh, starting pitchers for the franchise this season. Um, if it wasn't, I, I be- it was close. I believe, I believe so. Yeah, I know. Like by September, half of the GKR experience was counting which you know, <laughs> which which number of player that was for the Mets this season. Um, so yeah, I, I, the good thing is that if it doesn't work out to bring back some of these guys that we're talking about, uh, I'm not saying that there's you know several Degroms out there on the on the free agent market. But there are enough pitchers out there that you should be able to bring somebody in, um, you know, to, to help complement things. Like a guy like John Gray is set to be a free agent, and uh, who knows? Maybe Colorado gives him a qualifying offer or whatever. Why they didn't trade him when they could have got a nice package for him uh, back in July? I don't know, uh, but. Somebody like that who you look at and say, okay, this is a guy who um, we've sort of thought about as a trade target as fans several times within the last couple of years. Um, you know, that could be an exciting player to bring in. Sure, um, sure. So, yeah. It, and we'll get more into all that as the next few weeks and months unfold. But, but yeah, it's it is possible to to go in with a solid starting rotation by just retaining guys that we we already know um so we'll yeah, see i mean I, I don't i don't know if the starting rotation was ever really the big problem this year i mean obviously a healthy Syndergaard, a healthy carrasco a healthy even peterson would have been preferable over what we got. A healthy degrom why didn't even why the fuck didn't they start with a healthy degrom but you know um <laughs> You know, I just think that the Mets' offensive woes were so bad this season that even if those guys had been pitching, I don't know if they w- the season would have wound up that much different or, you know, if they would have still made the playoffs. Do you think with a healthy DeGrom and a healthy Carrasco, they make the playoffs? I think it would have been a hell of a lot closer. Um. So so many of the issues when they really struggled were with the offense just not coming through. But there's you know there's more than one way to win a baseball game. So yeah. um, it, you know if those two were healthy and pitching how you'd expect them to pitch, which Degrom was, you know, all time great level of performance uh, when he was health- healthy this year. And if Carrasco had had just been you know somebody who was around for thirty starts and. Uh, like a 3.3 ish ERA guy. Um, you know, the, the combination of all of those games, uh, between the two of them would have, would have definitely been useful. But Carrasco was a 12 start 6.04 ERA guy. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. So yeah, I think, I think if, uh, if healthy Carlos Carrasco had started games that Ikoff started, um, just as one example, and you hate to pick on him, but his starts really stood out the most in a bad way. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't I wouldn't say I guarantee that they would have made it, but it certainly would have been um a little more interesting, and I think they would have had a bigger lead in the division at the deadline. Whether or not that would have affected their their uh you know. The actions they took or didn't take at that time, I don't know, but um, slightly more insurance from from a uh, division collapse. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. 
Um, I, I, I think the point you said that I'm most in agreement with is the that this was a very likable team. I mean, we we talked we talked a lot this early in the season about how this was the most likable Mets team in a long time, but it turned out to be one of the most disappointing Mets teams in a long time, also. So you have to balance likability with with winability, you know, and and I, I don't know where that exactly falls, but. The biggest piece for me in all of that right now is just like you said, getting a getting a front office that is capable in place so that they can do their job this offseason. And with that, Chris, what is your music pick for this week? So I actually remembered the one that I wanted to remember. Okay. Which is which is good. Cause sometimes as we do this, we make our music picks, or I can only speak for myself. But I'll be listening to something, and I won't write it down. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, that's that's going to be the next one. Uh, and then we get to recording, and, and then I have to try to figure out what that was. So <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks to some of the other folks at Amazing Avenue and Slack, specifically Nate had mentioned the show Sex Education on Netflix, um, which had just totally skipped by us in terms of, I don't know, just uh, – he mentioned it and I'm like, Oh, what's that? Like I, it felt like a totally, you know, unheard of thing. Um, and I went, you know, we went, we started watching it thoroughly enjoying the show. We're in season three and the show has fantastic music. Um, and Ezra Furman is responsible for, I think for putting all the music together for the show uh and a lot of so you know there's there's lots of other artists music that are that that's in there that's that's mixed in really well and it's a nice blend of um lots of things that i love from across several decades um you know whether it's going back to uh you know songs from the 60s and 70s or stuff that's recent and then there's a ton of actual music by Ezra Furman uh in in the show. Uh, so I, I was torn on whether to recommend, I guess I'll say I, I, I'll, I'll go with the album from 2019, 12 nudes. Um, because that's just a straight up Ezra Furman record. Uh, while the sex education original soundtrack gets an honorable mention because it's lots of, uh, uh songs that fit, the show really well and are as far as i know i am not a complete expert on on the artist here but as far as i know all the songs are written for the show oh, um, that's interesting and, okay so yeah it's a lot of original music made for the show um and and yeah so that that chain of events sort of led me into giving a proper listen I, a couple friends had been into this record 12 nudes um, like right when it came out and sort of obsessed with it. And I, you know, I listened to it a little bit at the time, um, you know, didn't dislike it, but it just didn't click. Uh, and, it, and it, I don't know, that always fascinates me about music is that maybe your first or second listen, uh, doesn't register in a way that later on you start to connect with it or get it or, or, or it just ends up, like oh now it now it's something that that's working for me. So it was I think it was like a when I first went to listen to it, I, I wasn't hooked. But having a more sort of slower uh, rollout of Ezra Furman music through watching the show um, did pull me in and led to this album recommendation yeah it is always amazing when something just doesn't hit you right the first time or the first five times and then one time you listen to it like oh this is what everybody was talking about okay um I, i've talked about this i think on this show before but one of that's what i think one of the problems of like the modern era of the way we listen to music is that we don't um we don't spend enough time with albums anymore. Like when we were kids, we'd buy an album by your a new a band you liked, and you weren't buying another album for another few weeks. And so you were going to listen to it every day, or however often you were going to listen to it, and you were going to, uh, 
you know, grow to like it, or you were going to learn its pleasures or whatever. You it, you may never like it, but you're going to give it enough chances. And I feel like we just don't do that enough now because we have the entirety of recorded music at our fingertips. Right. Um, and so it's just, you know, that's what we do. Any other Furman notes? Uh, no, no, nothing, nothing specific other than, uh, well, you Give it a shot either way. Um, you know, I guess it's a side TV show <laughs> recommendation here, <laughs> but uh, but the the cast is excellent. It's it's a it's been a very enjoyable show, um, and I've I've always been a sucker for good music in film or or TV. Of um, course, yes. You know, when when it feels like somebody's nailing it with with music choices uh, to go along with whatever scene is happening. Uh, it just kind of takes things to a next level. So, so yeah, check out the record 12 nudes or watch the show. Or if you already watched the show, because as I found out, like when I started looking at these people up, they're all mega famous. Like <laughs> it, it, that, that was another thing where it's like, Oh, this, this, like this little Netflix show. And then you, you, you go look and, and it's like, Oh yeah. If you're on a Netflix show, you're uh, you're a big, deal um uh, you know so i i didn't discover some show that nobody's ever heard of here but <laughs> um but yeah that uh e- either watch the show or listen to the record and if you do one and then and, and you're like hmm i don't know yet do the other and then see where you see where you land but i think it's a lot of good music all right, I'll have to check it out. I still have not seen the show. So we are now out of baseball season, so we're into Brian Watch's stuff season. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm definitely uh, – I'll definitely check it out. So um, it's funny. I, I have a friend named Jay – hello, Jay, if you're listening – who is uh, – who's been podcasting for almost as long as I have. He started, I think he said, 15 years ago podcasting, which is crazy. And he's had the same show the entire time. It's called Completely Conspicuous. And uh, – he and I have talked on the show about music, you know, probably 50 times at this point. But for some reason, whenever I'm on the show, we start talking about Van Halen. I, I never listen to Van Halen anymore. When I was like a little kid, if you would ask me when I was like 10, I probably would have said Van Halen was my favorite band in 1992 or whatever because I was 10. <laughs> um, but like it's a band that I, I guess I have a lot of opinions on. And so when David Lee Roth announced his retirement – Jay called me and said, hey, come on the show. Let's talk about David Lee Roth. And so this week I've been listening back to some Van Halen stuff. And I think that it's such a shame the way that music is talked about in this uh, in society in that like things can be cool and then not cool and then cool again. And we can't make up our minds about what stuff is good or bad or whatever. The reason I say that is because I think it's pretty easy to look at a lot of Van Halen stuff and think how cheesy it is or how lame it is. But there's some really great stuff in there if you're a fan of just like straight up rock music. And so I'm going to recommend Fair Warning by Van Halen, the 1981 album. I believe it's their third or fourth. I think it's their fourth record. It's my personal favorite of theirs. It's sort of the darkest one. It has some great guitar playing. It has one of my favorite uh, final tracks on an album, which is called One Foot Out the Door which is really, really great. And I think this album has probably the least amount of, like, David Lee Roth cheese to it, um, mm. which is always sort of my my uh, hang-up with early Van Halen stuff is just the, like, the Diamond Dave flashing his hands and being, you know, cheesy and all that. I You know, I don't always love that stuff. But I also think that to ignore... Uh, to, to ignore music of any kind because it seems like from a different time seems lame to me and you should be appreciating things that you like and appreciating things that are good, whether or not that's the consensus opinion of everyone else. And so I, I don't think I'm breaking any ground here by saying Van Halen is good. Uh, I think that, that's, that's a well, <laughs> it's a well-worn opinion at this point in 2021, but um, I'm going to just throw a shout out for uh, fair warning by Van Halen. If you have not heard it, listen to it you may be impressed and if you haven't heard it in a long time you're probably going to smile listening to it so that is my pick do you have any van halen thoughts um 
none too strong either way. I've uh, seen Pearl Jam cover Ain't Talking About Love once or twice in, in my several times seeing Pearl Jam over the years. Uh, and that, that was always fun. But um, yeah, I can enjoy their music. You know, it's not like I go back and listen to it, although with your recommendation, maybe I'll give this album a, a proper listen. But <laughs> you know, it's they're like a band that's always there. Mm-hmm. You know, if you need them, the, the songs are always there. Um, but not a band that I've sought out listening to too, too much on my own. Um, but yeah, maybe I'll have to start. <laughs> no, nah, I mean, you know, I, again, I just, I just think, uh, I just think sometimes we need to be less beholden to cool or, uh, or genre or whatever, but that's just me. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, no, that is, I think that is a valid point. I definitely think there, there can be some hatred of bands, uh, especially from that era mm-hmm. that, you know, comes from a place of like, nope, not cool enough. Yeah. Um, and and look, <laughs> I'd like to think that if I were, uh, you know, old enough to uh, go to shows and make choices and all that during that era, that I would be at Sonic Youth gigs and Black Flag gigs and and <laughs> right. all that. But I might have wound up at Van Halen shows. Yeah, exactly. Know, or both. Or both. It is it's possible to do both. That's, right. Well, uh, and and that that's the beauty of living when we do now is that you don't have to pick Van Halen or Black Flag. You can say both. Right. Um, even though I still would take Black Flag, but you know, it's, that's another story. <laughs> anyway, <Yeah. laughs> thank you for listening, everybody. We appreciate it. Go to amazingavenue.com. We are rolling out our season review pieces. We uh we're gonna be looking ahead to some free agents soon. We're gonna be following all the Mets offseason news. You can find everything you need right there. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. Go to uh, Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify or Amazon Music to find this podcast and tell a friend about it. And if that friend can rate, review, and subscribe to it, that would be fantastic. So let's um, let's do all of that. Let's also follow Chris on Twitter at Chris McShane. You can find me on Twitter at Brian It's an app. And until next time, let's go Mets. Mm-hmm.